AM 570 KLAC, 987 KYSR HD2. Los Angeles. Available anywhere using the iHeartRadio app. AM 570 in LA sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All-American. USC's Rodney Pete. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney Pete. Rodney Pete. It's available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. Let's go. Fred Rogan, Rodney Pete, AM 570 LA Sports. Two hours for us today. Well, I don't think anybody believed it would come down to a weekend like this. Both the teams on top of the NL West, best records in baseball, Dodgers and Giants. Rodney, I can't remember, and in the tease we mentioned it, I think it was 97, mm-hmm. a time where these games meant as much to both teams as they do right now. No, no doubt. No doubt. And I think, uh, and we touched on it earlier, that this series, the Dodgers have been playing with a lot of momentum, obviously just swept the Braves going into this series, playing with a lot of confidence, got guys back healthy. I feel like the Dodgers can survive if they don't happen to win this series, but I think the Giants in this situation, I don't know, maybe I'm biased, but I got the feeling because I felt the Dodgers would be in this position come September that they'd be either in first place, that they would catch them. But if the Giants lose this series, I don't know if they recover from this and catch the Dodgers again. So I was on San Francisco radio last night. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about the series. They called me. And I and I did use a few things you said, and, and I gave you credit for it. Uh, one of them was, if the Dodgers win the series or take two of three of the series, they're not looking back. Yeah. You can just kiss that off. I also said... What did they say to that? Were they shocked that you said something like that? No, they were they weren't shocked about that. They they were shocked about this. When I was talking about the injuries the Dodgers have overcome this year and how they're in the position they're in and why they are playing like they are and how remarkable it is that Dave Roberts has them in the position they they're in because of the number of injuries. But this is how they've played all year and this is where they're at. Then it turned into, you know, we've had injuries too. We have injuries right now. And I said, oh, so we have excuses now? They haven't even started the series yet. I'm telling you what the Dodgers have overcome to get there throughout the season. You're telling me you have problems now. Okay, well, those problems have been the entire year for the Dodgers. Well, Johnny Cueto and Alex Wood and Solano or whatever his name is. And I was like, Yeah, we could point to Dustin May and Clayton Kershaw. I mean, those guys are still out. Tony Gonsolin. I mean, those those guys are still out. So, yeah, we got injuries now, too. But we've had them all season long. But we got them now, too, so we can match you toe-for-toe with injuries if you want to go that route. That's exactly, you know, so so they started that bit. They started that uh-huh. routine with me. Then I, I gave Farhan props. I said he's done a magnificent job. You know, he's building it just like the Dodgers were constructed. So year in and year out, they will be in a position to succeed. And, uh... They said, well, the Dodgers have more depth. I said, well, yeah, they've been at it longer. Andrew Friedman has been at this longer than Farhan has in San Francisco. Well, they said, well, do you think that's fair? I went, well, hell yes, it's fair. What do you mean? Did they, they said, do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, everything turned into an excuse as to why they may not win. 
Well, the Dodgers have more depth. Yeah, they do. Got to be honest with you. You'll get there. Farhan will figure that out. You're not there yet. It takes years to get there. Yeah, the Dodgers do have more depth. Well, they have this and that. Well, that's true, too. You're absolutely right about all that. What does that have to do with anything? This is where everybody is at this time right now. I can tell you, after that last night on the radio there, they're a bit worried. They are a bit concerned now. You think so? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. The last thing they wanted to be is in this position. I'll tell you what. They either wanted to be five games up or two games behind. You know what I mean? So if they lose up there. They didn't want to be tied. No. That's what you're saying. This is the one place they didn't want to be and the one place it's good the Dodgers are. And it comes with this rivalry. If you think about L.A. rivalries, L.A. sports rivalries, okay, obviously you're a huge part of one of them. USC Notre Dame, USC UCLA. Those would be huge L.A. rivalries, fair? Yep. Okay. Uh, Lakers Celtics. That's a rivalry as well. Yep. And maybe you can enlighten me. I don't know of a bigger, bigger rivalry in L.A. sports than Dodgers-Giants. I think that's number one. In what? All L.A. sports, as rivalries go. I think it's the most intense. I I think it is the most deep-rooted. I think it's the most intense number one rivalry, Dodgers-Giants. Mm. I don't know. You know, that's a that's a great call question for our listeners at some point, but I, I, I don't, I, I, it, it is intense. Don't get me wrong. It's very intense. Um, Lakers Celtics is really, 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 really intense. Um, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go, I'm a go with USC UCLA. I just, I just got to go with that one. It's the most intense because it's, it's directly in LA. And it's and it involves people that you see at school and go to the market and interact with and work with and all those things. That's why I think it's it, that one is a unique one in in all of sports when it's two two teams within the city, major universities like that. So I, I'm I'm gonna go with that. But uh, those three, if, I think if you ask and poll it, any one of those three could come up as the number one. Kevin, what do you think? Well, the Dodgers-Giants is interesting because they both moved out here at the same time. Uh, th- that, and that's I don't know of any other in major American sports where that's ever happened before, where two rivals actually moved to keep the rivalry together from one coast all the way to the other. What hurts it is that they have not, like you mentioned, Fred, had a lot of meaningful games since the two have been out here. There have been times where the Giants have been good, obviously winning World Series. The Dodgers have been good, winning World Series. They just have not had – how many important, impactful Red Sox-Yankee games have we had over the last – even right. the last 20 years? Right. We haven't they're had impact- – the, They're always in the ALCS and playing each other in yeah. the playoffs, and we don't see that with the Giants and Dodgers. We haven't had an impactful series with the Giants and Dodgers in 50 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but even with that, you know, we talk about – we call them the hated ones. People can't stand the Giants. We were keeping an eye on the, the Giants-Brewers game yesterday, Rodney, and they wouldn't – the Giant fans who were polled couldn't give the Dodgers credit for anything with their pitching staff. As far as them right. having the best pitching staff in baseball or whatever the question was. So there is something that's deep-seated there. I think UCLA-USC is pretty close for the reasons that Rodney gave as well. Um, but I think considering USC and UCLA have had meaningful games 
even as recently as a decade ago. UCLA knocking SC out of a, out of a potential BCS championship game. But it's still deep-seated and deep-rooted with the Giants and the Dodgers. So I think it speaks to that rivalry that they have had so few meaningful games, yet the hatred is still there between the two. Yeah, and remember with UCLA and USC, with all due respect, speaking to my colleague, my partner, and my friend who graduated from USC, if you didn't go to UCLA or USC, do you really care? Do you really care? It's a fair question. If they're good, if they're both good. You're interested. Yes. You're interested. If you didn't go to those schools and they're both good, you're interested. If but the Dodgers, okay, Rodney, so but the I Dodgers know, but if the Dodgers are horrible, if the Dodgers are horrible and the Giants are horrible, I mean, yeah, 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 right. But they're both fighting for it. The reason why it's so interesting now, everybody's excited about it, because both of these teams are going to the playoffs, and either one of them can win the World Series, and they got and they possibly could face each other in the playoffs. If USC and UCLA are good. And they're fighting for uh, the Rose Bowl, or they're fighting for to get into a, a playoff berth. Yeah, it's intense in LA. I've been in it. I've been in it with Troy Aikman for two years, and know how the city reacted to when both teams were good and playing for something. What was that like? And that matchup, whoever won that game would go to the Rose. That it was intense in this town. What did you experience? And it didn't matter if you went to the school or not. People picked sides. All right. Well, what did you experience as a guy that was in it? You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go anywhere, and, and everything from Monday through Saturday was all about the game, every headline. And front page of the Times, not not sports page, front page of the Times was a story on the game. So it was intense, especially the, the year, my senior year when I had measles, it, it, was, it was national news, the, the game. And so it, it was, yeah, it was more, I, I, it was crazy people, were at a transfer hospitals twice because people were finding out where I was. And and it was, I would turn on the news, different parts of uh, different, watching you and everybody else, and then they'd show news clips of different people, and they had students that would have dots on their face for measles, like measles, <laughs> about the game. So it was, yeah, it was intense. So it both... If and, it, and that's with pretty much everything. If if the teams are good and, and something's on the line, people get more interested. Okay, so now Lakers Celtics that rivalry, uh, yeah, th- that is pretty deep seated. There's no question about yes. it. But they don't play each other enough. That's the problem. They you know they see each other twice during the regular season. Then if you get to the playoffs, they don't play each other enough. Dodgers Giants. I mean, they play all the time. So there's a right. chance to have that sense of bitterness or or hatred more often than if the Lakers and Celtics play. More often than if UCLA and USC plays because they, they play once. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. I think that's what I said. I think you get three different answers if we polled people and, and had them call in and say which which one is the most heated rivalry or the biggest rivalry for LA people. I think there will be a third of the people say the Giants-Dodgers and a third of the people say USC-UCLA and a third of the people say Lakers-Celtics. Uh, I guess the Dodgers are getting them at just the right time, too, beginning tonight. Exactly, precisely the right time. Might feel differently at 940 tonight when the game is over, but as we sit here going into the first <laughs> well, game. Well, here's the thing, Fred. What, what does it say about, you know, we talked about this with David Vassay and uh, about why Scherzer wasn't pitching in this series and why they, they, they 
elected to go with him Wednesday night and close out the Braves and and, and get ready for the, for the following week. The Giants elected to go with their guy to make sure they got a win against Milwaukee and didn't get a four-game sweep. And Rodgers went out and, and pitched a great game for them, and they won, but he won't be available in, in the series against the Dodgers. So them saving or, or pitching him and not saving him for tonight, what do you think that says about them and where their mindset is? Their mindset is don't they fall. They needed from, a win again. They yeah. needed to get a, a win before they played the Dodgers. Oh, yeah, don't fall farther behind. Right. Don't don't fall farther behind. No, get a win and get even here. Yeah, that's what it said. They understand the importance of, I mean, I'm telling you, the way it lays out now, this is not the Dodgers season. No matter what happens, no matter how this plays out in San Francisco, they're going to be fine. I think they'll take at least two of three. That's me personally. This might be the Giants season right here. If they get beat, a couple of times, that's not good. If they get swept, all of a sudden, everything they had built the entire year, getting to that point, they're now going the wrong way. And this is precisely the wrong time to go the wrong way. No, it is. You, I mean, this is where you want to play well. This is this is the most important part of, of the season, especially if you've been playing well all season. This is the last thing you want is to, is to start to hit a slump right now. Um but again, you know their challenges, schedule-wise, is is a little bit tougher than the Dodgers. They got, you know, the, the Padres several times, and they got to go back to it, or they got Atlanta coming to town again. So it's it's gonna be interesting. They get behind against the Dodgers, it could be tough. Although the Dodgers, you know, they play this series, got to go right to St. Louis, who's no slouch either. So it, it could be difficult for the Dodgers too. I, I still think it, the Dodgers will win it. But it'll be interesting to see where San Francisco goes after this series because they can very well not say they fall off a cliff like San Diego did, but they could kind of go back into a, you know, regain the slump that they were already in. Yeah, for them, right after they face the Dodgers, they will take on uh, Colorado and Chicago. So those are a couple of get-right series before they face San Diego, still fighting for a playoff spot. You talked about Atlanta and then San Diego again. So I guess for, for both the Dodgers and Giants, they both play Arizona twice. They both play Colorado. Uh, Giant, the Giants have Colorado a couple of times. So I will say that and the Dodgers do have St. Louis, like you mentioned, Rodney. They have San Diego twice. They also have Cincinnati coming up, and they're fighting for a playoff oh, yeah. spot too. So I, I don't know exactly how it stacks up as to who has the tougher schedule, but they I wouldn't say it's even. I'd say the Dodgers probably slightly tougher than the Giants, but not that far apart. So tonight the goal is an opener and then David Price. Yeah. How, and we don't know how far the opener goes. After the game probably dictates that. Right. If who and we don't yeah. know who that is yet. I don't. I mean, think. if he strikes out the side in the first inning, he may he may go too. Right? Why not? Just let him go until him he go. can't. At least one time through the lineup. Oh, if they did that, I mean, if that really happened, yeah. If whoever opened one time through the lineup, yeah, David Price could close the game. Right. Think about that. He'd go the rest of the way. Yeah. If the if the starter goes three innings, the opener goes three innings. Yeah, Price could go the rest of the way. Okay, well now we have our plan. That's what should happen tonight. Yeah, but obviously you you, you, you know, I'd be shocked if they don't start a right hander, right? So I don't know. do we know who's starting, Kevin? We don't know that yet, right? Is it for, Mitch Blood White for, for San Francisco? No, for us. 
Uh, well, Price is listed as the starter, but again, is he the starter or is he the opener? So that that right. much I I can't, you know. But Vasquez right, told because us they play the matchup game, right? So they, they I'm I'm sure they're they're probably going to start a righty and bring Price in in the second inning or whenever it is to to kind of mess with their 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 matchup game. Yeah, and Desclafani is starting for the Giants. Yeah. Some of the Giants, uh, some of the Dodgers have handled, and it starts the yeah. season so far. For yeah, and he's been struggling of late too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that game will be on the radio station tonight. When we come back, a man that knows the psyche of two cities. Ned Coletti, who did it for the Giants. Ned Coletti, who did it for the Dodgers. One man, a tale of two cities. (laughs) That's next. Oh, yeah. You got to let this flow a little bit, Fred, because we know what this means when this song comes I know. Yet. Oh, yeah. I love this. Nothing like a Saturday in the park, Freddie. Rodney Pete, Fred Rogan on a Friday. A beautiful Friday, that is. We got action. Oh, we got action. We got action this weekend. We got college football. But more importantly, we got the Dodgers Giants, Freddie. We do indeed. Let's bring in the man. One man in a tale of two cities. It's our good friend, Ned Coletti. Ned, how are you today? Oh, excellent. Great opening. Great opening, gentlemen. Great opening. All right, Ned, you better than anybody know. That's how I set you up. One man, a tale of two cities. You know both the markets. You know both the fan bases. You know both the organizations. Uh, Just talk about the impact of this game, the rivalry, and how the cities view it. Well, I think it's one of the great rivalries in all of sport. Um, Started on one coast, is on another coast. So you've very few rivalries do that. Uh, tied together in a lot of ways. And um, I think it's going to be a great weekend series. I think it's cool that these two teams have, have battled all the way from the 1st of April to the 3rd of September, whatever today is. Uh, I think it's great. And it's, um, you know, hopefully San Francisco will uh, will have some fans in the stands. You know, most, they were, they've been a little bit down in attendance. Yeah. A lot of seats for Dodger fans up north. Yeah. Um Talk about that, though, Ned. The fans in San Francisco, obviously they're intense, love their team like most cities do when their teams are good and, and, and even when they're bad. But, but the, the difference between Giant fans and Dodger fans as you experienced it? Um, oh, that's a great question. I think, um, I think the rivalry uh, means uh, just as much to either fan base, um, although I never hear any L.A. fans chanting, beat SF, you know. Uh, it's got that that kind of L.A. stigma as it had with the Lakers for years. The, the beat L.A. chance, uh, you know, you don't hear that at Dodger Stadium. Beat SF, you know. So uh, probably a little bit more to prove in uh, the northern part of the the rivalry. Uh, may take it maybe a degree more seriously. Don't know about that because Dodger fans are certainly passionate. But I think it's. Um, I think it's been a. Uh, I've been so blessed to work in both markets and to see them both. And I can tell you, you know, when I was at Candlestick, I was there half the time, and then at the New Park half the time through uh, the years I was up there. And we would draw nothing at Candlestick, and then we draw sixty thousand for the Dodgers. I may have told you the story before. And I asked the guy to run Stadium Ops. I said, "So what, what's the deal here? I know it's a big rivalry, but how can we draw five thousand on?" Thursday and 60,000 on Saturday. He said, "Well, people here don't like baseball. They hate baseball. They just hate the Dodgers more than they hate baseball." <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that that kind of explains it a little bit. But, you know, I'm looking forward to a good series. I think the Dodgers are in a really, really good spot and have been for a while, just taking it step by step. You know, Ned, let me follow up on that because, uh, you know, the stadium ops guys saying they hate baseball. Is San Francisco a good baseball market? Well, it is now. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a good market back in the candlestick days. I mean, you would have 10,000 people, you know, 12,000 people. And in that stadium, I'm sure you guys have been in there. I mean, it was it was massive. So it looked like, yeah. uh, you know, we used to count people coming down, there, and they had that concourse at the very top of the lower bowl. No other real real um, uh, pathway to go to go around the ballpark except at the very top. And you could count people coming in. You know, you go, oh, there's six right there coming down, you know. Uh, you, you can ne- you've never done that at the new ballpark they've got or at Dodger Stadium. It it was really a huge 49er town. I, I'm not sure where it's at now since they moved a little bit south, but it was uh, it was not necessarily a great baseball town. You'd rarely see a giant hat downtown. You'd, you know, and I worked for a different team. I worked for the Cubs for a long time before I went there. And even as a visitor, you know, you realize that the weather's brutal, but it's not like the home crowd is going to give you a hard time either. But that changed in 2000 when the new ballpark came online. That changed a lot, and I think it's a, a very, very good baseball city now. I think yeah. they've really come a long way. I think it's. I think they're into it, and I think they obviously uh, their hatred for the Dodgers has not waned one bit. Uh, you know, and they took great pride in winning three World Series. Although I think they got their hands full uh, trying to do that again before the Dodgers do. Yeah, um, man, we talked about coming out of this series and and i i believe that the dodgers have you know they could you know i i think they're going to win the series but if they don't i think they still recover and and keep the momentum that they already have whereas the giants have kind of you know been in a little bit of a slump and if they don't win the series i think it's more detrimental for the giants to lose this city this series than it is for the dodgers what do you think 100 percent agree 100% 100% agree. This is a vital series for San Francisco to stay in it. Dodgers could, in the essence, lose two out of three or whatever, but I think the Dodgers are built for the long haul. I think San Francisco, there's no debating how great they played. They have played as perfectly as any team could possibly play through this first five months plus of a season. But you can start to see the wear and tear coming. I mean, they've got two bullpen games in this series. You think they set their rot- – we talk about setting rotations up for series. You think they set this up a couple weeks ago and said, hey, let's go with these Clefani on Friday and we'll just wing it Saturday and Sunday. You know, I don't, I don't think that was the plan. But that's kind of where they're at right now. And um, they played hard. They played great. But I just don't see them with the depth in their rotation. I don't see them with the depth in the bullpen. I don't really see the depth in the lineup that the Dodgers have. And the Dodgers are starting to play good against decent teams, you know, the ones they just beat. They just beat, uh, obviously, they play in Atlanta, and, you know, good team, and, you know, took it to them pretty decisively in a lot of different ways. And they know how to win. I don't think we can ever forget the experience of winning and knowing what September and October baseball feels like, knowing what the day feels like, the expectation. It gets a little bit hotter, a little bit more, a little more bright light and stuff like that. This team is made for it. Giants are still trying to figure out if they are or they're not. Yeah, and you've pointed that out all year long, uh, depth. And you said there will be a point in time where you're going to see those cracks start. Now, that doesn't mean in years to come, Farhan won't do a good job, Ned, of uh, constructing a roster with more depth. But maybe it's just a little too soon for that now. 
Agreed. I think Farhan's going to do a great job. I think he's he's probably the executive of the year right now. Uh, he's done a tremendous job along with Gabe Kapler. But the season is meant for six months and then a postseason. It's not meant for five or five in a week, whatever. And they've you know, they've been a surprise since the beginning of the season. Nobody expected this. And and when that happens in, in a sport like baseball, it is tough to maintain that. I don't have any doubt he'll be successful and the, the franchise will be, be back to being uh, as, as good as they've been in, during the Brian Sabian two decades. But uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's right here right now. And I think they have a they still have some work to do. And I think that uh, the season is starting to to show. You can't fool the season. There's just too many facets to playing the game in the uh, relentless pace of a season that you, you you can never fool it. You can never really cheat it or get away with something uh, because uh, the season will find you at some point in time. And I think it's starting to find them right now. We're gonna create an app. And it's going to be called Netisms. <laughs> we're just going to put it in there. And we're going to send it to people on a daily basis. You can't, you can't cheat a season. It'll find uh, you. Can't. You can't fool it. You can't fool the season. Fool a you season. Can't fool the season. Yeah. Nope. Can't fool Too it. Long. Can't fool it. It's not a baseball nope. week. It's not a baseball month. It's a baseball season. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We're going to create that. Hey, hey Ned. How do you handle a, a situation like, like Max Scherzer, who comes out of the game with hamstring tightness, said he felt it early, um, comes after the game and says, it's, you know, I've, I've dealt with this before, I, it, it felt bad, and I, had, I came out, but I won't miss my, my next start. Now, I know from being an athlete, you're always going to downplay an injury, especially if you think you can play. Yep. Um, is it something that the Dodgers, at this point in the season – should be really cautious about and maybe not start him on Monday or his next start or make sure that thing is, is totally ready to go? I think you got to make sure it's totally ready. Uh, I don't think you can you can fool with it. He has been so good. And, uh, you know, we, we talked just, I think, in, a, in the last time I was on with you guys, you know, my – I think you asked me what my concern would be at this stage. And, I, you know, I'd say, yeah, you can't afford to lose Julio or Walker or Max Scherzer right now. you got to keep them really at the, the pace that they're on, the – the edge that they bring and the success that they've had, you got to keep that consistent. So, I think you got to be wise with it. I think you, you, maybe you see how this series goes, and uh, you make a, de- a determination when you get to St. Louis. This team is always prepared for a lot of different options and going in uh, many different directions at a given day. So, I think uh, and it's the old saying of being day to day. But I do think that it's something that they're probably looking at on a day to day basis. They come out of San Francisco feeling pretty good. They look at the St. Louis matchups that they'll face there as that becomes clearer. And maybe they make an adjustment, or maybe he's feeling great. But any time you could, especially with those three guys, any time you can save an inning or two, you've got to do it. Because, you, 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 again, your disorganization plans for seven months, not six. And so you've got to, if you can steal an inning here or there and get a guy off his feet and, and keep him from throwing an extra 15 or 20 pitches and you do that five or six times in the month of September, that's another game. You just saved yourself another game with this with that particular player pitcher. So, I think it was wise move, and I think we'll see it. We'll see what happens. And if he does pitch, you'll know that he's he's as good as he could possibly be. Because I don't see him going out there either, as competitive as he is, and taking any chances. You know, uh, you bring up Scherzer, and the other night when he came out of the game, and the fans were irate. Nobody knew what had happened. They thought, "Oh my God, why would Dave Roberts take him out?" And then I said this earlier in the week. I think everything that's happened to the Dodgers this year. 
the injuries, the problems. And, and, and I said earlier in the week, it's like, uh, oh, good, you got Luke Rayleigh in the lineup. Thank God. Who are these guys? I think Dave Roberts has done his best job managing the ball club this season. And I also think when people are on him and go, what's he doing? He's a different guy than he was when he took the job. I mean, he has learned along the way. He has grown as a manager as well. Would you agree with me? This has been his best job managing? Yes, I think he's been was, was good his first year, and I think he continues to get better. And I know there's always criticism coming to no matter who sits in that seat. That's just that's just the nature of the business. But I think managing today is not like like managing 20 years ago. You've got so much to manage. You've got a very talented team, and so some people say, "Well, that's a push button gig." You know, you just plug guys in and they play. That that's not really how it goes, though. And you've got a lot of different things to manage. Uh, it's when people thought of a baseball manager 20 years ago, they really thought about, okay, how does he manage a game? First inning to last inning. Now when you're thinking about a manager, it's, it's, it's so much, I think, in my opinion, more, more people-driven than ever. How do you manage athletes? How do you manage athletes that are making $35 million a year? How do you manage athletes that are arbitration eligible, looking to build numbers, looking to have a better arbitration settlement or case? Uh, and young players trying to get established and have their salaries moved up and play. You know, you, whenever you go to an arbitration hearing or you're even a, in a free agent thing, teams always look at how much somebody played. Is this an everyday player? Is this somebody who was platooned? Is this somebody who can hit lefties, hit righties? All these different things come into play in the off season. So he's got to manage that in season because people are going to come to him and say, you know, I, I'm pretty hot. I mean, we've seen this a handful of times. Guys are red hot, and then as Nomar will say, El Bencho the next day. Those are tough conversations to have. But I've seen no player in all the years he's been here, I've seen no player, quote, quit. I've seen no player not play as hard as possible. Maybe Manny Machado a, a touch here and there. But other than that, when you think, when you look at the presentation of the club, and it's not always clean, it's a long season, but when you look at how they play for themselves, for the fans, for the city, the franchise, and for the manager, there's never a doubt that the effort is as good as it could be. And I think that's a tribute to him. Because you can tell when a team is trying to get a manager fired. You can tell. They, they kind of look the other way, and, and they're not as fine-tuned, and they're not as precise. They're trying to get this, this guy out of here, and, and they always do. I have not I have not seen him for a day here. And we've we're, you know, we got a pretty good run going right now. He's been here for quite a while. I think he's done a terrific job. And when you have all those different players coming in, Changes the whole dynamic. And a lot of these guys he had never seen before. Think about that. It's like the job Mattingly did a year ago in Florida. He had like like 30 guys he'd never met before because of the pandemic and guys sitting on the side, you know. So it's hard. It's hard to manage. You can always question, oh, they should have hit and run. They play small ball, do this. Why they hit this guy here? Why they do that? And, you know, there's, there's a million reasons for it all, and it's part of the gig. But overall, again, it's, it's like – I would always ask myself, do I trust a player? I'd also ask myself, do I trust a manager? Do I trust the staff? I, I trust this crew implicitly. Yeah, and and Ned, I, and you you said this on our show often, because you you've forgotten more baseball than ninety nine percent of the world, um, and you've often said this. Look, I I can only say what I think should they should do, but. I'm not in that clubhouse. I'm not in there internally what their conversations are. And I've said this before is that sometimes we don't always understand why a move is made. Only they do internally. 
and, and they won't always and they don't have the obligation to explain it to everybody at a press conference either. Exactly. And there's, there's so many things that happen. There, there's probably a dozen things a day that we watch and we see and, you know, we watch every game and every pitch, but we still don't know because we're not in the room. We're not, we're not privy to the conversations. We're not privy to the strategy. Think about a couple of years ago in the full season. Not one Dodger threw 200 innings. You know, usually you're trying to get, you know, your horses, so to speak, to go 200, 210 innings. No, they manage everybody in a different way. People go, wow, how come this guy's only throwing five today? You know why? Because they're going to save that sixth inning or that sixth and the seventh inning for the 15th of October. So that he's not only healthy, whoever it is, they're not only healthy, but they still got more in the tank than the competition they're playing. It's 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 nine against nine, but a lot of it is is one on one. A lot of it is pitcher versus hitter. That's how every play starts. It starts one one versus one, and so you've got to figure out okay, how do we match up one versus one where we've got the better talent, we've got the more endurance, and we've got the better the better talent through a trying season where everybody gets mentally and physically tired. Keeping guys fresh is a huge part of all of this. They've done a terrific job with it. And they've got the finances to do it, and they've got the farm system to do it, and they've got the major league players to do it. And they use it well. They do not ever, you know, they 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 use it as well as any organization I've ever seen. And that's that's not a company line. That's just, that's just what I see. Uh, Ned, before we let you go, Rodney and uh, David Vassay talked about this earlier in the week. I want to get your take as a guy that was the general manager of multiple clubs, Corey Seager. All right, A, a guy like Corey Seager, if you're the GM, would you go to him early and say, you're going to be up, let's try to get something long-term extended. I know his agent's got to work on it. And B, uh, or agree to it, and B, is there a price point you look at and you go, that's too much? You're the general manager. How would you handle a situation like Corey Seager who's coming up? Well, I think, and, and again, I, you know, I don't know the conversations, okay? I, I know the principles pretty well. Um, I think that if you're going to be into your free agent year, you're going to play it out. I don't think there's any way to get somebody, unless the player himself is going to say, hey, I don't want to do anything else. I just want whatever you give me, I'll take type of thing, which is you know, one in a hundred. Um, so I think you play this one out. I think that's the way it goes, and, you, and you, you deal with it. Both sides deal with whatever happens, and wherever the market goes for on both sides of it. Uh, once you get into it, and Scott is, you know, he signed some guys before they were free agents, but it's, it's rare, and I, I sense that. Uh, it's got to be a player demand that says, "I'm not. I don't want to go to free agency. I, I, you know, I'm cool here, and and you know, I don't ever want to leave." Type of thing doesn't mean that that Seager wants to leave. It just means that you know he, he's kind of doing what almost everybody does in that case. The other part of it, the other part of your question is a great question. And uh, in the negotiations, I've probably done two billion dollars worth of deals. You know, some good, some not so good. I could give you the list of not so good in a heartbeat. You know, a lot of those guys. But <laughs> I think I think what you do, what I would do is I would you know, canvas the entire, canvas everybody, get thought process. My inner circle, manager, certainly your training staff and your doctors, where somebody's at in their career, what do they think, and and take that all in, and certainly have conversations with the ownership. But I would I would set a number in my mind, both a term and a total number value. 
And I, I would know that, okay, that's what I would like to do, and I probably added a percentage or a few percentages to what I would really like to do, knowing it's usually above what the general manager is going to be comfortable with doing. And I would go into it knowing that I probably still had to go higher. But I also knew where I wouldn't go. I also knew the term, I'm not going five years with this guy. I'm not going $20 million, $10 million, five, whatever it would be. Uh, I'm not doing it. So if it gets to this point, I'm out. And it was it's incumbent upon, I think, both sides, if the player wants to be there, if the, if the team is not just being used, and this conversation is just in a general way right now, teams are always used as, as a stocking horse for you know somebody else to, to pay more. If that's not the case, and if the player really has an affinity for a market, for a franchise, for a fan base, I always would tell the agents, it's incumbent upon both of us to figure this thing out. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But we have to, we, it's incumbent upon both of us to make the best effort we can. We want the player. The player wants to be here. Doesn't mean we crazily overpay. It does mean that you know, our effort is pure, your effort is pure, and let's see what we can do. And if we can't do it, we can't do it. And I was always candid right out of the gate. I, you know, if they'd say, well, we're looking for six and, uh, and 200 million over, over seven years. And I had no interest in that. I'd say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go elsewhere right now. You got to, you know, if you change your mind, you come back to me, but know that I'm going to go shop someplace else. I don't see the seven. I don't see the 200, you know, you can give me some reasons, this and that, but I've also scoured it. I've also dug deep in it. I've had my analytics people dig deep into it. My medical people, I just don't see it. And then, and then we would go from there. Sometimes they come back, sometimes they leave. But I think you have to have that in the mind. You can't have, you cannot have no ceiling. You have to have a ceiling that you, that may move a little bit, and obviously it's going to move up before it's going to go down. But I think you have to really, you kind of just have to know your, know what you're doing, and and do it in a quiet moment. When I decided what I was going to do, that was after counsel from a bunch of people. But they weren't in the room when I decided what to do. That was up to me. I sat in a chair. It was up to me to decide how many years, what I was going to do. Get ownership's blessing or or not, and you know, and figure out something else if the blessing wasn't there. But you, you've got to know in that seat. You've got to know. Same with trades. You've got you take all the information you can. At the end of the day, you sit in the room by yourself, quiet moment, and you figure out what I'm going to do. Most of the time, it's clear cut, yeah, A or B. You know what? Time short. I got to follow up though because this was fascinating. Give us one you walked away from. Give us one you said I we can't go. Oh, goodness, there were, there were probably many of them. Um, Prince Fielder. Prince Fielder, I, um, I, I called Scott. James Loney had had uh, a rough year, and uh, it was right at the ownership juncture when, when uh, the McCourts were leaving and, and Guggenheim was coming in. And, uh, and Frank gave me the okay to, to go a certain distance, which I was comfortable with. And I, I mentioned to Scott, I said, look, I don't want this in the press. I don't want anybody knowing about this. It's a quiet thing. Um, you know, we're in a sale mode of a franchise. I flew to Dallas. I met with Prince for a few hours with Mike Fiore, Scott's right-hand guy, and Scott. And I brought two of my scouts in. Who One of them had known Prince for a long time. I established a little bit of a comfort level there, Tony Howell and Vance Lovelace, my right-hand guy. And we went and we met for a whole day. And um, as we, we were getting close to doing a deal, um, Detroit stepped in. And, and Scott, to his credit, called me and said, hey, uh, Detroit just lost Martinez. The owners called me. They're willing to do what I've been asking you to do. And, you know, so if you want him, 
he you know he he loves L.A. and he loved Tony Gwynn Jr. who was still part of our organization. And you know this could this could happen. I said I'm not doing it. I I I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to that duration. I'm not going to that that dollar figure. Thank you for your honesty and thank you and, and best of luck to Prince. Enjoy being with him. So that that's one. You know, I have a, there's a bunch of other. I mean, I had a trade with for CC Sabathia years ago too. That that was a different dynamic. But I had a trade in, in 08 that I thought could could really change our franchise at the deadline. CC and Casey Blake and Jamie Carroll um, for five prospects, of which one of them ended up being a big league player in Santana. The other four, uh, you know, were rated high in all the little national magazines and stuff like that. But I didn't believe that they could play in this market. You got to know your market too. This is a great market. It's a big market. It's got big expectations. Even though people from the outside say it's laid back and this and that, you know, it's not going to be New York or Philly or Boston where they're going to, you know, pay a bunch of money to come and boo you. But if you're not playing well, you know, they'll be at the beach. They'll be at Disneyland. They'll be, you know, they'll be hanging at, at Fred's house. They'll be, you know, they won't be coming to the stadium. <laughs> that, you know what? That, uh, that was just fascinating. Yeah, wow. fireside chats with Ned Coletti. Well, we that. could do it. We I'd should. Uh, we could do. We could do it from midnight to four, so I could tell some of those stories too. That you like. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> those insomniacs out there. Let's do it. All right. You know, we'll see what happens this weekend. We'll have you back next week, as always, and then. All right. But then next week, I want you to talk a little more about the ones you walked away with. Away from. All right, I'll give that. I'll give that some more thought. Okay. Yeah, because it's a. There's a lot of them. There's a bunch that worked, didn't work, and some you signed, and you knew when you signed it. It was not going to be a good deal, but you had no choice. Only so many Major League Baseball players. All right, Ned, have a good weekend. We'll talk next week. All right, guys, be well. Thank you for the time. Is it just me, or is that fascinating? Always, yeah, always. Just the story. And and it's not just the story. It's the way he tells it from his perspective and in his voice. It's, it's great. Yeah, and he takes you inside. He's taking yeah. you places you don't go, you don't know, you have no access to. Right. Well, he is the best. Uh... Okay. Well, next hour, we'll have some spirituality. Oh. And now another Rogan and Rodney. Oh, yeah. Afternoon delight. Love. Big mansion. Big limits. Big standards. Big vision. No distractions. Big difference. They living. I live lavish. I can't f- with love because it happens. Huh. What could you prove to me? Today, afternoon delight is single and happy. A cash doll. This song was released late last week and comes on the heels of her Juicy J assisted track entitled Like a Pro that dropped a couple weeks ago. The 29 year old Detroit native recruited RB singer Eric Bellinger and rapper Wale to be featured artists on this track, which will likely appear on her yet to be titled upcoming sophomore album, which will be which many believe could be released before the end of the year. Again, today's afternoon delight is Single and Happy by Cash Doll. All right. And now, from the court to the courtroom with Jacob Emrani. Okay, before we hit Labor Day weekend, bring out our good buddy Jacob Emrani. Jacob, how are you today? Hey, Fred. Hey, Rodney. Hey, all right. Jacob, of course, a proud partner of the Los Angeles Lakers. And it looks like they might be in the market to shop for a center if they cannot get things worked out with Marcus Saul. Uh, do you have any update on that? Do we know if they're going to re-sign him or if Gasol's going to opt in? Yeah, I think the way it's looking is that the whole Gasol thing has probably, you know, basically ran its course. 
Um, obviously, Gasol does have choices to be, you know, somewhere in Europe and probably get paid well for it. And at this particular moment, I think it becomes more in terms of if the Lakers are going to be able to make him feel welcome. But between you and I, I don't really even think, you know, the Lakers are seeing him as part of, uh, you know, as part of their future plans. I feel like they're trying to bring in some new people. And I feel like, you know, they have a, uh, you know, a plan of where they're going the same way, you know, they brought on Rondo. Uh, as you know, they were working out a couple of people and they were very close to bringing back Isaiah Thomas. But then suddenly the Rondo situation ended up presenting itself and it was a no-brainer. And for all the people, you know, who were unhappy that Dudley left, uh, it was really sort of a, you know, Rondo or Dudley kind of situation. So, you know, Rondo ended up falling into their lap. No, not really more as a player, but I think more as a locker room guy and a, a film room guy and somebody who can really bring everybody together. Yeah, I, I agree with though. I would agree with that. You know, everybody bashing that that he his role is just as important off the court as it is on the court. So, I, I think it was an important move. Uh, Jacob, you know, we all know you're a partner with the Lakers, big Laker fan, but you're also a big Dodger fan. We got the big Dodger Giants rivalry game series this weekend. What's your thoughts on that and how the Dodgers are now playing with a little bit of momentum? Oh, are you kidding me? I'm loving it. I mean, I can't, you know, just in the past few weeks, all I heard everybody saying is that the Dodgers are not going to be able to catch the Giants and two and a half games was too many. But obviously we know this is sports and we know that as long as you put your head down and you do your thing, you know, things will play itself out. So obviously the Dodgers have a great opportunity, you know, in this series to not only show us that they should be in first place, but make sure that they are in first place by, you know, gaining you know, three-game advantage. Now, we both know that, you know, when they play against each other, it's really, it's a double whammy either way you go. So, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think, you know, the Dodgers are going to show, you know, where they are. They've got a nice momentum going, and they just have to be able to focus and play with that sense of urgency that, unfortunately, some days they have not been playing with. Uh, Jacob, I know that this is a a very busy time of year for your office, Uh, Labor Day weekend. Everybody trying to squeeze in that last little bit of summer, and uh, that leads to accidents, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, Labor Day is one of the you know, highest travel days, lots of accidents. And, uh, you know, I want to tell our listeners something more than just if you're in an accident. I think a lot of times when you get into an accident on a three-day weekend, you know, you really can't get to anybody, right? All the phone calls you make to your doctors, to your attorneys, to whoever, everybody's off. They're all enjoying their three-day weekend, number one. You know, one of the rules in my office is we don't ever have long weekends. We don't even even have weekends. You know, we're on, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week so that people who are in, in an accident can reach us at any point. Uh, but, Fred, one of the bigger problems on these weekends is if people are injured, they can't get to a doctor and they wait. People wait until Tuesday, Wednesday, until everyone comes back. And I want to urge them to definitely get to the emergency room or get to an urgent care and make sure to get yourself looked at. Um, you know, unfortunately, I'm in the hospital for the past eight days because my dad has been here and I've been sleeping here with him. And I can tell you, I've had a, you know, front seat view as to how important it is for you to be very firm as to what occurs with the medical providers. And what I mean by that is that often when you go to a healthcare provider, or if you go to the hospital, um, a lot of times people fill out the questionnaire and they leave a bunch of things um, empty. And they don't know that the moment that gets you know put into the system, everything that you left empty, they're going to say, 
you're not experiencing. So, if, you know, if you're injured and you go in there and you say, my back hurts, even if your leg hurts, if you don't actually make sure to put your leg hurts, the computer is going to say your leg doesn't hurt. And I just want to encourage, you know, our listeners that when you do go to the doctors, whether it's for an accident or any other reason, you need to make sure to fill everything in. Make sure to tell them everything that hurts because these computer programs now are a default. For whatever you don't say, they go ahead and fill out the opposite, and that can, you know, come back to hurt you. So I've had a front seat view here for the past eight days at the hospital, making sure that, you know, I'm an advocate for my dad for everything that's going on. But a lot of people don't have an advocate that understands it, and their family themselves, their family members are in the hospital, and they don't know that this has to be done. So I really felt like I should share that, you know, before this long weekend, you know, make sure that everybody knows that you, you got to pay attention to these things because other people are not necessarily looking out for your best. Jacob, how is your dad? You know, thank God, you know, he's improving. Unfortunately, he had had a fall about two months ago, and uh, he didn't really think much of it. And, you know, in the past, you know, 10 days, he had not really had his balance. And, you know, they said, you know, we took him to the doctor and they had found, you know, some bleeding in his head. So they had to do surgery. Um, but again, you know, that tells us how, uh, you know, how really precious life is and how the little things can really, you know, change the course of your life. But, you know, I'm thankful and blessed and, you know, here with him every day and, you know, helping him, you know, you know, improve. And, you know, I thank all the healthcare providers who help as well. But, you know, we all go through this. I'm sure, Fred, you know, you know it. Rodney knows it. Our listeners know it. All we can do is be there for our family members and be an advocate. I mean, that, you know, that the word advocate is not just a light word. We really need to be an advocate for our family members and, you know, for everybody that we can help. All right. Well, our thoughts, our prayers are with you, Jacob. Uh, Fingers crossed your dad gets better. You have a terrific weekend, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, guys. God bless you all. Have a great weekend.